Welcome to the Ag Future Podcast, presented by Alltech. Join us as we explore the future of farming, food, and nutrition. Dr. Peter Furquette is a professor of nutrition and biotechnology in the Department of Poultry Science at North Carolina State University. The author of more than 500 publications and seven patents, he's known for his work on perinatal nutrition and development and other nutritional factors that affect the yield and quality of meat, nutritional value of food industry co-products, and nutrient management. And he's here to talk to us about improving the quality of chickens and turkeys before they hatch. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you, Tom. And first, let's take a look in the rearview mirror. How far have we come in poultry? When you consider what the poultry industry has done over the past 60 years or so, um, it's been short of amazing. If we consider, you know, what a chicken, it took 10, 60 years ago to get to, you know, our consumer size market, it took 12 weeks. It was a small scrawny little bird, but that same four pound broiler chicken today can do this in almost 30 days. And when you think about the genetic potential for growth for these amazing animals, and we are seeing about a 1% improvement in live performance every single year. That's a 50 gram increase in weight for a 42 day old bird or a market bird every year. So this is quite an amazing um, you know, challenge as well is that the genetic potential of these birds are actually more difficult to understand how to feed and to meet the nutritional requirements for that rapidly growing animal. And do you attribute this to genetic science? Yeah, because we have learned a lot about not only selecting and understanding variability and selecting animals for certain growth, but now because of the genetic science of and being able to understand the, the, the gene and the blueprints that's all associated with it, being able to measure certain traits and select for those. Uh, this is still natural selection kinds of science, but because we have the tools, we can rapidly meet those needs and get traits that are desirable for not only the welfare of the animal, but their growth performance, meat quality, et cetera. What's the difference between genetics and epigenetics? Epigenetics is actually the expression of the genes. So genes are like the blueprint, but the epigenetics is like taking a part of that, that gene or that blueprint and actually creating something, like going to work and building a, a house. You start with a blueprint, but the carpenters and everybody actually goes to work and takes that blueprint and begins to produce a product. Epigenetics takes a certain part of that gene and now says, okay, I need to express that part and turn it into proteins, turn it into something that can now create what you're really needing to create. It's the phenotypic type of response. What we call phenotype is actually creating what the bird actually looks like, behaves like, and grows like. Does the genetic technology CRISPR come into play? Well, that is a technique of trying to now um, modify that gene and how that expresses. So 
we're still starting to learn how to do that with animals. Um, lots of plants are using it now. So this is a very new technique that allows us to now modify the gene. So you're not actually doing a gene modification. It's the CRISPR just says, let's take out a piece that's not functioning well and making it work better. Interesting. What kind of uh, impact can nutrition have, in the, especially in the early life of a bird? You know, you've heard it often, you are what your mama ate. And very often when we are very young, and it doesn't matter if it's a human, a chicken, or even a plant as it's just beginning to grow, it needs to sense what the environment is like and then adapt by epigenetic responses to the environment so that it's adapted to what, what is going to, the life it's going to be in. So what we can do with early nutrition is actually do certain things, provide nutrients at critical periods of time so the genes are expressed in a way that we'd like that is more adapted to the environment that that animal is going to grow in. So for example, if we want, now I'm taking a physiological kinds of response. If we want an animal to be more adapted to hot weather, you expose it to hot weather for a short period of time when they're young. If we want to now create something where an animal is more efficient in a specific nutrient, we can actually reduce the nutrient, make that animal work a little bit harder for that, and it upregulates parts of its genome or its gene expression and machinery so that it's more efficient to get those nutrients. And that very often lasts for the rest of their life. So with early nutrition, we have an opportunity to manipulate the nutrition, the physiology, and those kinds of things in a way that they are better adapted for life later. Okay, I want to get to something that I mentioned in the introduction. Uh, can we begin getting that bird off to a good start even before it hatches? Yeah, and that's the amazing thing that we've been working on for the past almost 10 years. That What we first found out is that the chicken's first meal is not its first mouthful of food when it hatched. Like all of us, when we're embryos, we're surrounded by amniotic fluid. It's that fluid that surrounds the embryo, and the chick, as well as humans and others, swallow that amniotic fluid just before they're either hatched or born. And that amniotic fluid contains nutrients that the mother or the dam provides. But sometimes it's deficient in certain things or doesn't have the certain trace minerals or nutrients that's required to turn on the machinery so that the animal develops well. And so what we did is we now supplement that first meal, the amniotic fluid. So when that chick consumes it, it gets a better complement of the nutrients it needs to grow. And so what is the outcome? What, what is the difference that you see? So we use nutrigenomics to actually test metabolism. And we found that if we want an animal to have better immunity, that we know there are certain kinds of components that we can put in the diet or in that amniotic and novo feed, as we call it, that would upregulate some aspects and balance nutrition or immunity. If we want gut development to be better, we can add in certain nutrients that will help the growth 
of those enterocytes, the gut cells, or if we want to do something where we want better breast muscle development or better behavior in some ways, being having animals more alert, there are certain critical nutrients that we know that now play an important role in the metabolism that influences those traits. What is nutritional imprinting and what kind of an impact does that have on the bird? So nutritional imprinting is much like um, the epigenetic story. So imprinting is a way, is an adaptive conditioning using nutrition to allow it to adapt to what we would like. So for example, I would like to imprint an animal that's more efficient in phosphorus utilization. That's a good thing because dietary phosphorus is expensive. And if you can improve phosphorus utilization, you have less going into the environment. So imprinting would be for a short period of time when they're very young, you feed a diet that is very low in phosphorus. And that allows the animal saying, I need more phosphorus. I'm going to upregulate my systems to be more efficient for phosphorus utilization. And that imprints them for the rest of their life. So imprinting is something that's biologically very um, conserved in nature. It's like imprinting, uh, let's say, a child on a mother. It, it, that occurs very young. Same thing with this imprinting to some sort of an environmental temperature. And we can do the same thing with nutrition. We can imprint that, you know, animals for certain nutritional things that we would like to uh, make things more efficient later in life. So how do these genetic and nutritional technologies affect the average consumer's dinner table? I think what people, first of all, are concerned or have a, a fear that, oh, we're manipulating genes. But no, these are just natural genes that you and I all have. But what we're beginning to learn is now we're starting to understand what turns on a gene for the good and what turns on a gene for the bad. And by doing that, we can actually feed an animal in a way that they will be better adapted for the life that they're going to be in. And that's good because you can now make sure that the animal has better welfare, that the food, for instance, would be healthier, that the animal is more resistant to diseases. So there are a number of things that in the end turns out being very good for, for the consumer. Uh, a big active part of my work is trying to find techniques and ways to enhance the animal's resistance to enteric pathogens so that we don't have to put antibiotics in feed. We can use natural uh, compounds in the diet together with the animal's own system to be able to maintain health without having to rely on things like we have in the past, like antibiotics and drugs. This sounds like really interesting work. What do you enjoy most about it? You know, the most enjoyable thing is, is not always about the research. Yes, those are exciting things. But the most exciting things about my work is I'm a teacher, I'm a professor, and it's instilling, instilling dreams into our students' minds the creativity, what's possible, taking something that, that we know in science and let them loose to create an opportunity. And I think that's the thing that just makes me go to work every day with tremendous joy is because of what I can see my students 
and those around me use some of the information that we learn in, in science to create and do better things. And I always tell my students, take this and go save the world. Dr. Peter Furquette, Professor of Nutrition and Biotechnology in the Department of Poultry Science at North Carolina State University. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome, Tom. Thank you for listening. To hear other conversations with many of the featured speakers at one, the Alltech Ideas Conference, visit ideas.alltech.com. Access is free after signing up. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Ag Future Podcast, presented by Alltech. For show notes and more episodes, visit alltech.com forward slash ag future.